0: My guest today is Professor Mario Machis, who is Professor of Economics at Johns Hopkins University. His research interests include how economic incentives interact with uh, psychological factors and social norms uh, to drive individual behavior and policy relevant outcomes. In particular, he studies the role of incentives in shaping pro-social behavior and attitudes toward morally controversial exchanges Recently, these two lines of work converged into a research agenda aimed at understanding what determines social support for market-based solutions to social problems. Welcome, Mario.
1: Hi, Gil. It's uh, it's good to be with you.
0: Uh, I want to start with uh, one of your papers um, entitled Economic Rewards to Motivate Blood Donations, in which you say the position and guidelines of the World Health Organization's WHO, and several national blood collection agencies for nearly 40 years have been based on the view that offering economic incentives to blood donors is detrimental to the quantity and safety of the blood supply. Uh, You say that evidence consistent with the WHO position came originally from uncontrolled studies using non-random samples and subsequently from surveys and laboratory studies Indicating that economic incentives can crowd out intrinsic motivations to donate, and can attract worse donors. Uh, so, so, so are two two problems here, Maria. One is um, how WHO uh, reached those conclusions in terms of uh, whether donate uh, whether incentives are a bad thing or not, or good thing or not, uh, and um, the the overarching concern. Um, if, if incentives are in place, whether you have a biased selection uh, uh, issue uh, with uh, donors, right? You want to talk a bit about that paper?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so that paper is uh, essentially a, uh, the uh, culmination of a broader research program that I uh, uh, conducted with uh, uh, two other economists, uh, Nicola Cetera and, and, and Bob Slonim where we worked with blood banks in the US and uh, in, in other countries. Uh, to, to basically to understand the role, the potential role of uh, of incentives in stimulating uh, blood donation. So taking a step back, like we know that uh, giving blood saves uh, um, lives, and yeah. at the same time, look, donating blood is is a it's a costly activity to people in terms of time, discomfort, uh, and and there are many altruistic donors uh, you know out there who just give and and uh, without any reward, and that is wonderful. Uh, but in spite of that there are shortages of blood uh, and sort of this is sort of you know the background uh, to to that work that you refer to there are shortages of blood there isn't enough blood uh, supplied to to meet the demand uh, shortages are frequent in many countries in in in, in some countries like in, in wealthy countries uh, the shortages are 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 seasonal uh, whereas in other countries they are more uh, more chronic but in any case uh, the shortages are, of course, undesirable because, you know, when hospitals run out of, uh, of blood for transfusion, then they, 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 there are uh, surgeries that need to postpone. And, and in some cases, you know, surgeries and other types of interventions that cannot happen. And that, and that uh, has uh, bad consequences for, uh, for, for patients. And so, look as as an economist. So when when we observe, when when you observe, sort of as an economist, a shortage in a in a, in a context in a market, uh, then immediately sort of look at the price. And and in and, and in this case, so you think there might be something wrong with the price, right? Um, yeah. And so in this case, uh, there's no price because in most countries around the world, the you know blood donors are not uh, are not paid. Uh, and like you said, there is a there's a concern with with providing. Uh, a set of concerns with providing economic incentives to blood donors one is that uh, uh, you know the, the incentives could crowd out uh, donors intrinsic motivation so donors uh, mm-hmm. desire to donate you know in order to do good uh, could be that that type of motivation could be crowded out by explicit incentives and so uh, in theory it's possible that uh, as a result of introducing incentives you might get fewer donations not more donations The second concern that you refer to is that uh, the uh, safety of the blood supply could be jeopardized by introducing incentives if incentives end up attracting a different type of donor, donors who are Perhaps more likely to engage in risky behaviors or behaviors that make them more likely to develop infectious uh, infectious diseases. Those are sort of two two big big concerns. And with my co-authors, we essentially you know started doing a, a, a set of um, empirical studies in collaboration with with blood banks to understand empirically you know what happens when you provide economic incentives to blood donors. In the yeah, so yeah. one
0: one thing I was wondering, uh, Mario. So um, obviously there were a lot of uh, concerns about transmissible uh, infections like HIV and hepatitis and so on. But those things uh, sort of uh, have abated, right? So perhaps uh, perhaps that is less of a concern today than perhaps, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, but I was also wondering, I know that you, Kevin, you didn't do this in this paper. Um, so the crowding out effect um, if there is some sort of a market-based mechanism, like if you can titrate, you know, the the incentive mechanism, if, if there is, you know, sufficient amount of blood, there is no incentive. If there is, you know, a dearth of uh, blood supply, there is higher incentives. I don't know if any any experiment like that was done, uh, or whether it is, you know, just looking at incentive or no incentive.
1: So that is the thing, right? So in theory, you could have you could have different uh, um, uh, types of effects of uh, of providing incentives to different types of uh, of of individuals, depending on their motivation. Right. Uh, The effects could be could be different. But that's exactly why uh, this is one big reason why we developed that empirical research agenda that that we did. In particular, uh, we worked with the uh, American Red Cross uh, in uh, in Northern Ohio. Uh, They very generously shared a bunch of data with us, which we analyzed and uh, studying the effect of uh, of rewards of of different kinds, uh, you know, from mugs uh, to t-shirts uh, to to uh, pins, coupons, jackets, and 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 so on, and and one sort of you know empirical regularity that we found was that uh, oh, oh, these incentives, these rewards. Uh, Uh, had a uh, positive effect on on blood on blood donations. We also did uh, a a randomized control trial where we used uh, purely economic rewards, uh, because, you know, one could argue that if you're looking at the uh, uh, effect, if you're studying the effect of a t-shirt, and the t-shirt has the Red Cross logo, then, you know, the positive effect could be due to a uh, uh, social uh, sort of image or social signaling uh, that, you know, by, by wearing the Red Cross T-shirt, I'm indicating to society that I'm a certain type of person, I'm a good person, I give blood. Uh, and, so, and so that positive effect could be due to, the, to that uh, instead of the monetary or dollar value of the T-shirt. So what we did with the randomized control trial, we offered a variety of, uh, of gift cards for $5, $10, uh, or $15. And people could uh, choose uh, uh, from a variety of, uh, of stores uh, of gift cards from different different stores. So we remove the social value, if you want, of, of the reward and focused only on a, on a purely economical type of reward. But again, we found similar positive effects of gift cards Uh, on blood donation and the effects were increasing in the value of the the gift card. So the $15 gift card had a larger effect than the $10 and then the $5 gift card. Um, And also, you know, coming to to your question about the heterogeneity, the different types of of people, different types of donors potentially reacting in different ways, um, we didn't actually find that you know, we found that the positive effects, sort of, you know, we found them across the board, like for you know, younger donors, mm-hmm. older donors, uh, um, uh, more frequent donors, less frequent donors. So we weren't able to really identify any donor uh, category uh, that did not uh, uh, show a uh, uh, an increased propensity to donate blood uh, uh, in response to the economic rewards.
0: Yeah, that is that is really interesting. So, um, this is a large study, uh, Mario. So, this is a field experiment, and another, another one of your papers uh, in Northern Ohio, like you said, uh, almost hundred thousand blood donors. So, it's a fairly large study. And so, if if we are finding, you know, sort of a binary observation that some people uh, uh, are are uh, can be incentivized to provide blood and some don't need uh, those incentives. Um, I didn't know this number. As you say in the paper, the volunteer time um, in the United States, estimated value of volunteer time on all activities about $240 billion. Uh, 27% of Americans volunteer with uh, formal organizations for a total of about 8 billion hours per year. Um, and so there's a very active... Uh, non-incentive-based volunteer activity uh, happening in the U.S. Uh, And so uh, the the blood uh, donor problem specifically, uh, what you're saying, if I understand it correctly, Mario, is that you find a positive effect um, of uh, providing incentives, uh, but whether uh, the, the type of incentives or the quantity of the incentives don't seem to have that much of a that much of a relationship.
1: Oh yeah, we we did do that uh, um, large-scale uh, randomized control study that uh, that you have uh, referred to. Uh, another finding from the study, by the way, is that we had a, uh, a measure of uh, the uh, quality of the blood uh, collected, uh, a proxy for for the quality of the blood collected, which was the Percentage of uh, uh, of donors presenting to donate that were uh, deferred; they were not. Uh, so whose blood could not be or was not collected because those donors presented some risk factors. That proportion uh, fluctuates between 10, 13, 15 percent. Uh, uh, normally and we did not find any uh, relationship any effect of uh, you know uh, the incentives on that proportion the proportion of donors who are ineligible to to donate which was our proxy for for the quality of the blood supply and so from from that finding uh, we we uh, you know that, find, that su- finding suggests that the concern that incentives uh, attract the wrong type of donor uh, 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 that there isn't a lot of empirical support for, uh, for at least not in our data, for that uh, um, for that claim. Another uh, in- important finding was that uh, uh, there was uh, a little bit of a uh, um, uh, intertemporal, what we call intertemporal uh, sort of substitution. Essentially, in part, the positive effect of uh, the incentive, so the incentives increased donations at the drives where uh, they were offered in part that increase was due to uh, some donors uh, donating there at the time uh, when the incentive uh, was was offered instead of uh, at some point in the future so we basically the incentives shifted donations uh, away from uh, uh, the future and into sort of the present at the time when incentives were offered so this type type of intertemporal substitution is uh, potentially useful because as I mentioned earlier, in the US specifically, blood shortages tend to be seasonal. Like around the holidays, blood banks find it harder to recruit donors and collect blood around holidays like Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, in the summer. And so if incentives can be used to uh, again induce people to donate when uh, at times uh, you know of the year when when donations are more needed uh, instead of when they are more abundant then that's an additional way in which incentives can uh, can can provide social uh, uh, social value um, and so to go back to the initial paper you started asking me about a paper that my co-authors and I published in science where we summarize uh, the available evidence uh, uh, at the time. Uh, so it's not just our yeah. papers. There's like now a body of evidence that has looked at uh, uh, blood donor incentives uh, in multiple countries and of many different types that all seem to point to, you know, you can actually use incentives uh, in a way that is not incompatible with uh, altruism and that can actually reinforce uh, Donors, uh, you know, intrinsic motivation to uh, to do to do good. So that's sort of you know the lesson that we 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 sort of drew from uh, from the available uh, from the available evidence in that paper.
0: So 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 in general, this appears to be a good thing, um, both in terms of willingness to to, do, uh, to donate blood, as well as the intertemporal substitution that you talked about. Uh, indicate that when there is scarcity of blood, if you provide incentives, you will um, get a blood donation, and there doesn't appear to be, you know, this uh, uh, this concern uh, that uh, people who donate blood with incentives, um, you know, may have issues, and so you have that bias selection problem. That doesn't That's appear right. to but be there. You said, yeah,
1: yeah I maybe mean, forty yeah. years ago. This would have been a uh, bigger concern compared to today, because today we've got a lot, you know, technology has gotten so much better at uh, identifying sort of, you know, contaminated blood, so to speak.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I want to jump into another paper. Understanding societal support for monetary compensation to plasma donors in Canada. Uh, so, you know, in this, uh, this paper, you say examples of transactions that raise or have raised moral concerns, often leading to the prohibition, including prostitution, same-sex marriage, uh, and other type of things, uh, markets for human organs for transplantation. We'll talk about kidneys in a later paper here. Um, all of those issues, um, you, you, so you have some uh, observations here. We, you have three different countries that you're looking at, Canada united states and australia in united states it is legal uh, to to pay for blood donation but it's not the case in canada so you're you're looking at these two countries to to maybe uh, draw some conclusions yeah so
1: yes so the the uh, transactions that um... You uh, you refer to uh, economic, economics Nobel laureate uh, Alvin Roth. He uh, uh, labeled them as a repugnant transactions. So these are transactions where the yeah. uh, uh, parties would be willing to engage in a, in, in an exchange, uh, sometimes involving involving money, for example, paying for uh, for plasma. But uh, but others who are not involved in the transaction, they object to the exchange and they would like to prevent it. Uh, to prohibit the uh, exchange from taking place uh, an example of this type of uh, you know uh, 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 debate and conversation policy conversation is uh, is uh, payments for plasma in uh, in canada in recent years, there's been a lot of debate in Canada about whether or not Canadian plasma donors should be allowed to be to be compensated, to be paid. Like you said, uh, paying plasma donors is legal in the in the U.S. And the, do- the donation of plasma, by the way, involves more time uh, compared to the donation of whole of whole blood. Uh, plasma donors uh, mm-hmm. uh, need to uh, you know to a plasma donation center and. Uh, uh, and, and and the the process of giving plasma takes about an hour, sometimes even even longer. Um, and so, um, um, and, and the plasma uh, donors are paid in the in the US. Uh, They're not uh, typically paid in uh, in Canada. But uh, uh, and plasma is extremely important. It's an extremely important source of therapies for the treatment of many types of blood diseases, blood cancers, leukemia. Uh, uh, and, 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 and so, and, and of course, you know, there's a need for plasma derived therapies in Canada. Uh, turns out that there isn't enough yeah. plasma being collected in Canada to satisfy the demand for those uh, plasma derived therapies uh, for Canadian patients. And what happens is that Canada relies uh, heavily. Uh, And so does Australia, by the way, where again, uh, plasma payments, uh, plasma donor payments are prohibited, but those countries rely on imported plasma from the U.S. and therefore from paid U.S. uh, donors. So this sort of this situation where uh, payments are prohibited in some countries, but those same countries uh, rely on uh, imported plasma and therapies from the U.S. and also from Germany. That's another country where plasma payments or compensation is allowed that prompted the study of canadian uh, canadians that that you referred to so what broad question mm. the broad question that we had was well, what do canadians think about uh, paying plasma donors do they think that uh, it the plasma donors should not be paid that it's immoral that is uh, it's unethical to pay plasma donors in general or are they fine with americans American donors being paid, mm. uh, but but uh, but Canadian donors should not be paid. So we wanted to, given the policy <laughs> conversation in Canada given, Canada, given that many provinces and also the the the, the central government uh, was uh, considering uh, uh, passing legislation and, and in some cases passed legislation that prohibited uh, uh, plasma donor compensation. We wanted to understand, you know, what Canadians. Canadian citizens thoughts about those uh, 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 issues. And so that was sort of the motivation for, for the study.
0: And there, there are no recent changes in those policies, right? Those policies have been in existence for a long time. Both in those uh, Canadian provinces as there well have
1: been the some so yeah you're, that's right. in the United States the uh, policy has been in place uh, in place for a long time. Oh, and by the way, like uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier the US uh, the plasma collections are very robust. the plasma uh, um, uh, industry is uh, is uh, is robust and the US is a big exporter of uh, of plasma. Um, uh, I might forget the exact figure, but I believe that about 1.6, 1.8% of U.S. exports are uh, 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 plasma, uh, uh, plasma product uh, uh, exports. It's a very big uh, uh, um, proportion. Um, and many countries, again, around the world rely on, many patients around the world rely on uh, plasma and plasma therapies from, uh, uh, from the U.S.
0: So, your survey here is basically getting to sort of a two by two matrix. How do you feel about the Canadian policy? how do you feel about essentially importing from the United States where you know it is legal uh, to pay for plasma donors? Uh, and so you're trying to sort of tease out um, you know how they feel about the local uh, policy and how they feel about in general, more at the macro level uh, paying for plasma.
1: So did exactly. You uh, so you characterize the, the, the work uh, you know, perfectly. We found that Canadians, we, our, our sample was uh, representative of Canadian, Canadian residents, we found that about uh, 70% of Canadians are actually in favor of compensating plasma donors, or paying plasma donors, and that proportion was roughly the same so regardless of the um, yeah. citizenship of of the donors, so Canadians are okay with compensate with American plasma donors being paid, but they're also okay. The majority again are, uh, are okay, are in favor of Canadian plasma donors being uh, uh, being compensated, being being paid. So we didn't find any evidence of uh, you know moral relativism, uh, by, you know, by which you know it's okay, it's not okay for us, uh, you know, for to to get paid <laughs> right. for plasma but it's okay for Americans you know to get pay, pay, get paid for plasma it was one hypothesis that we had but we didn't find any support for that hypothesis there's a sort of acceptance or yeah. uh, of, of, of compensating plasma donors sort of across the board
0: And you found uh, almost the same in Australia like in Australia sort of a middle image of, of Canada where, it is illegal in Australia uh, for, to play, pay donors of plasma. Uh, and Australia, um, uh, I think, is uh, also importing plasma. That's absolutely
1: correct. Yes, Australia. Uh, uh, in Australia it is illegal to pay plasma donors and uh, Australia also relies on uh, imported plasma from the US for, uh, for their plasma therapies, uh, uh, plasma to produce uh, uh, therapies. Um, and we find that Canadians are also okay with uh, uh, Australian uh, uh, plasma donors being uh, being paid. Again, uh, no evidence of uh, moral. Uh, we call it moral NIMBYism, Not in my, in my backyard uh, yeah. uh, morality. Uh, we don't find any evidence of that uh, in 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 the case of uh, of.
0: Uh, okay, and so. So if I if I understand these numbers correctly, Mario, what you're saying is that about three quarters of the population, regardless of their location, policy, etc., uh, feel it's okay to pay donors uh, for plasma um, for, for plasma donors, and a quarter, approximately, uh, don't believe it's a it's the right thing to do. Um, now, like we discussed before, I guess we haven't really um, dug into. Uh, you know, the, the different types of compensation. So one thing I was thinking about is, um, you know, how do they feel about just reimbursing the cost uh, to the donor? So as you said, uh, the plasma donation takes longer. So somebody taking time off work, uh, transportation, and so on, uh, that is not really um, really paying for plasma, but really compensating. Uh, the donor for the cost they're incurring in the process. Um, I don't know if there was any any sense of uh, any information from uh, the study not on specifically that.
1: specifically from our Canada uh, from our Canada study. Um, the uh, there 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 is a, a you know a sort of anecdotal evidence that um, people are more comfortable, or you know that that there are far fewer ethical concerns. Uh, for uh, compensation that takes the form of reimbursement of uh, of costs, also in the in the ethics and the bioethics uh, uh, community, uh, the objections to uh, paying uh, uh, for body parts, uh, you know, blood, plasma, or even organs for transplantation, those ethical objections uh, yeah. um, are stronger. You know, the concern that uh, vulnerable, you know, poor populations might be uh, unduly pressured into donating because of the promise of a monetary reward or that they would be exploited uh, again by if, if we allowed uh, 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 payments uh, um, for, for body parts. Uh, both concerns tend to be uh, uh, less uh, strong or, or absent altogether when uh, uh, compensation is a reimbursement for costs. Like even, again, in the bioethics community, <laughs> there's a widespread consensus, I would say, that nobody should be made financially worse off uh, from an act of uh, altruism, <laughs> you know, from a, the act of donating, say, a kidney or, or even plasma or blood. that nobody should be made worse off. And so there are no ethical objections to uh, reimbursing people for their costs the ethical objections uh, arise uh, for payments that are sort of, you know, beyond, they go beyond, uh, beyond, beyond that.
0: Or are perceived to be profits. uh, Yes. I think the
1: the key concern is that the, again, the offer of a a monetary, particularly monetary uh, reward, particularly when the reward is considerable in size, the concern is that that uh, promise or offer might induce people to make decisions that, that that are not that they would you know later regret or that are not uh, in, really in their best interest or that uh, uh you know they would get into make those decisions without really considering all uh potential uh, uh, downsides or costs so that the promise of a reward would make them focus on on the money too much uh, uh, and, and, and thereby sort of disregarding potential harms or harmful consequences. So that is sort of the uh, the uh, concern. In addition to a broader ethical uh, concern that is just uh, immoral. It's just uh, um, um, against sort of you know human dignity, or that, that paying for body parts uh, commodifies the uh, human body. And, and, and some people believe that that is just wrong per se, that there is an absolute sort of moral value that is violated when we attach a, a dollar value price on, on, a, on a body part.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. So another interesting result here. Um, so uh, we said approximately three quarters uh, favor payments. You say respondents who are in favor of payments to plasma donors, place great importance on guaranteeing a robust domestic supply of plasma. Um, Now, uh, I think you, I I don't have it in front of me. Uh, There was an, of that uh, quarter uh, who object to this idea, uh, maybe half of them say that they will will prefer uh, a policy change if um, the domestic supply can be guaranteed to be 100% um and so 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 this concern about uh, exports being not reliable and i think this is probably a more serious concern now with covid-19 um, it seems to push the, the quarter who say they're not in favor in the other yeah direction. no that, that's a great
1: uh, great uh, point and question so you're right covid-19 has sort of exposed the fragility of uh, uh, global supply supply chains uh, uh, and in fact in in our paper which preceded uh, you know covid-19 one of the concerns that uh, the canadian respondents seemed to have was this of guaranteeing a, uh, a sufficient domestic uh, uh, supply uh, uh, you know without relying excessively uh, on uh, on imports and uh, and you did yeah so they the, um we mentioned earlier that about 70 something percent of the respondents were in favor of compensating donors, uh, with the remaining 30, 25, 30 percent being against. And those who were against, uh, yes. uh, we, we studied the reasons uh, for, their, for their opposition. Some of them ob- objected uh, right. uh, uh, based on a uh, misconception that uh, plasma from paid donors uh, is unsafe. The past 20 years... Uh, there have been uh, in the U.S., you know, with pla- paid plasma donors, there have been uh, no incidents of uh, contaminated plasma. And to a large extent, this is because of regulation, of course, but also because of technological advances in the way in which uh, donated plasma gets uh, screened, donors get screened, and the plasma gets tested and uh, uh, essentially cleaned. Uh, There's a process through which uh, uh, infectious agents uh, that uh, might be in in, in the plasma get uh, essentially killed. And so, and, and that process is uh, is extremely uh, reliable and, uh, and and safe. So it is sort of a concern of uh, of uh, several of those uh, Canadian respondents who are against paying plasma donors, but uh, that that concern is sort of misplaced. It's based on a uh, on a misconception. Another fraction of those uh, uh, who yeah. are opposed to paying plasma donors, they are just opposed to, as a matter of sort of because of a, an absolute moral concern. Uh, it's wrong, according to them, uh, to pay donors, regardless of uh, you know any effects that compensation might have on the supply of plasma. But about half of those who are against compensating plasma donors, about half of them, they would be willing to sort of change their mind, if you want, if the domestic supply of plasma mm-hmm. were threatened uh, by say, uh, you know, with, w- if the domestic supply of, of plasma were seriously threatened, if the import uh, uh, from the U.S. were to mm-hmm. stop specifically, then those individuals would be okay. Would be okay with allowing uh, compensating uh, Canadian plasma donors if doing so you know, if doing so would, would guarantee that uh, Canadian patients can actually obtain the plasma and the therapies that, that, that they need. So this willingness to tolerate or accept uh, a, a transaction that they, you know, dislike, uh, because those are, again, individuals who don't like the idea of paying plasma donors, but they're willing to say yes, if there is a sufficient gain for society in this case for, for, for patients. That was one, uh, I think one interesting finding from our, uh, from our, uh, from our study, that the opposition for half of those who are against is not absolute in nature, but it can be uh, sort of relaxed if uh, there is a sufficient societal gain to sort of compensate, right? To compensate uh, for, uh, uh, allowing a uh, uh, an exchange that uh, that uh, they dislike.
0: Yeah, so that's that's interesting, Mario. So uh, you mentioned before uh, there is no evidence for moral uh, relativism. Uh, that is true for three quarters of the population, but other the the remaining quarter, you say half of them, is really uh, indicating sort of a moral relativism, right? Uh, meaning. Yeah, I, I will change my mind if uh, if there is a problem of uh, supply. Uh, so 10-15% of them are really practicing moral relativ- well, relativism. I'm not sure and, that I, I, I would
1: characterize you? that as moral relativism. There are competing values, right? And in ethics, just like in economics, okay. you know, there are trade-offs. In ethics, the, the things are similar okay. because... Um, on the one hand, you've got this, again, uh, reasons to oppose uh, paying plasma donors. But on the other hand, you've got patients who rely on plasma therapies. And so uh, uh, and so for, for this, you know, uh, 15, 10, 15 percent of individuals, uh, the balance between these competing interests, Shifts uh, uh, when uh, the uh, supply of plasma is seriously threatened, and so and so yes, in a way, hmm. so yeah, so yes, they are they are willing to make uh, to make a trade off between uh, between competing values. That's how I would uh, I would phrase this.
0: Yeah, it could also be sort of an efficiency argument, meaning I'm okay if things are you know sort of in in uh, in steady state. And I don't want to, you know, really kind of rock the boat, uh, but if if there is a supply problem, then I'm willing to consider. Yes, that's right. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I want to jump into another paper. Um, um, you know, clearly, uh, giving blood and giving plasma is one thing. Uh, giving a body part uh, is is another. Uh, because, of course, uh, related to that is is, um, potentially a lot higher. So you have this paper entitled Paying for Kidneys, a Randomized Survey and Choice Experiment, uh, in which you look at uh, 2,700 or so U.S. residents to study preferences for legalizing payments to kidney donors. Uh, And you say that we found strong polarization with many participants supporting or opposing payments regardless of potential transplant yeah, in, in, gains yeah so that, that paper more...
1: is uh, a part of a broader research agenda with um, uh, a, a two economists again uh, julio elias uh, who's an economist in buenos aires and, uh, and nicola cetera uh, who's also an economist at the university of toronto and, and in that, in that paper we we ask the question uh, you know what do americans uh, think about paying kidney donors uh, and uh, and so the background for this is, uh, uh, is that uh, in the U.S., but this is the case also in, uh, in pretty much all countries around, virtually all countries around the world, there is a shortage of organs for transplantation, uh, uh, in particular of kidneys uh, uh, for transplantation. And uh, in the U.S., there's a long waiting list of 100,000 people um uh, who uh, uh, of kidney patients uh, who would like to uh, uh, obtain a kidney but uh, but many of them uh, are unable to obtain one and in fact uh, um, several thousands of uh, of individuals uh, patients uh, die unfortunately every year uh, because they're unable to find a donor uh, and uh, and and others uh, drop out of the waiting list because they become too sick to obtain a, a a transplant, uh, the alternative to to a kidney transplant for patient, patients with uh, with end stage uh, renal disease, is uh, is uh, dialysis. Uh, there, are, you know, which is it's it, it's it's nice that there is an also an alternative, but dialysis is very expensive. Dialysis also, you know, worsens yeah. people's quality of life uh, considerably. Uh, uh, it also provides with a, sort of a patients with 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 the lower life expectancy compared to kidney patients who, who are able to obtain a transplant. So there are strong uh, uh, sort of uh, you know uh, arguments and strong uh, need. There is a strong need for increasing the number of uh, of uh, of kidney transplants. Uh,
0: yeah, these numbers are numbers are very striking, Mario. So uh, hundred thousand patients are waiting for kidney. In the United States alone, 2018 numbers, and the average wait is about 4.5 years, you say, uh, while receiving dialysis, as you mentioned, is extremely expensive. So that's a long time. And uh, several thousand people die each year uh, as they cannot find a donor kidney. Uh, so you, you estimate here kidney shortage has an economic cost of approximately $3 billion. Anyway. That, is and that is just for the U.S. Um,
1: and uh, and that is due to the lives that are you know being being lost, uh, the cost of dialysis. I mean, the the, the difference between uh, a, a, a patient that receives a kidney transplant and a patient that stays on dialysis uh, is, is is large. A difference in cost. It is estimated that uh, uh, each kidney transplant uh, generates about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars savings. To taxpayers in the U.S., uh, hmm. largely because uh, dialysis and kidney care, more generally, Medicare pays for it uh, regardless of uh, regardless of age. So, to a very large extent, uh, dialysis expenses yes. in the U.S. are financed by 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 taxpayers. So, in addition, you know, to you know, transplants. Having more transplants would, saves li- would save lives, which is very desirable by itself. Of course. There's also f- there are also financial uh, benefits for, for society and for taxpayers in particular uh, from, from increasing the number of uh, the number mm-hmm. of transplants. Uh, now economists and, and other sort of uh, uh, have, have, have uh, suggested that uh, we should consider uh, compensating uh, kidney donors. Uh, um, there are estimates uh, uh that yes. suggest that particularly living kidney donors face uh, substantial financial costs direct and indirect from the donation between 20,000 and 40,000 so dollars those are big costs for uh, for a donor and again you know there's consensus that uh, um um nobody should be made financially worse off from uh, from a uh, uh, from a kidney from a kidney donation um so in that paper th- the paper that you are referring to we're trying to understand Americans attitudes towards paying kidney donors uh, and um, we essentially um, uh, asked them uh, look to consider uh, hypothetical scenarios in which uh, uh, kidney donors receive payment um, and uh, um if you ask me you know yeah to summarize the results or to give you the most important result, the first result that I would like to highlight uh, from that paper is that uh, uh, there seems to be a a substantial fraction uh, of Americans who are in favor of uh, uh, paying kidney donors, uh, regardless of uh, about 50% uh, in favor of compensating kidney or paying kidney donors. uh, uh, regardless of any effects on the supply of kidneys uh, for 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 for, uh, for again for about 50% of uh, our respondents uh, uh, it, it is actually desirable that uh, for kidney donors to get to get compensated and then the fraction of uh, respondents who are in favor of paying kidney donors increases as the hypothesized uh, you know, increase in, in the supply of kidneys uh, increases. This is a result that is similar to the uh, finding from the Canadian study, you know, that when the gains from allowing a transaction uh, are sufficiently yeah. large, then more people become in favor of, uh, of making that transaction legal, of allowing that transaction to take place, uh, even among those who initially we're not so keen on uh, on uh, on the transaction on,
0: on, on making the transaction on mm-hmm. deal when. They... So so would you say, would you say, Mario, that that uh, cohort of people are assuming that um, you know a payment is not going to substantially change the supply. So you say here fifty seven percent of the respondents would support paid donor system in case of no transplant gains. And about seventy percent would favor compensation when mm-hmm. the system is assumed to satisfy hundred percent of demand. And so, is, is is there an implicit assumption here that uh, the that the people who are opposing this believe that it wouldn't really matter? So, it would um, really increase. The there, there,
1: you know, we. I mean, the the, the simple answer is uh, we really don't have a good sense of the uh, p- potential effect of uh, of introducing compensation to yeah. for, for kidney for kidney donors uh, there are some studies that have looked at uh, some certain the effects of certain types of reimbursements uh for example reimbursements for uh, uh travel expenses right. you know lodging uh, uh, expenses uh, and there's, there, the, the, those studies have found a positive effect you know when you reimburse for uh, for you know th- those t- types of expenses uh, donations tend to, to go up, but there is no real world uh, you know empirical study of uh, because it's prohibited because it's illegal to pay uh, kidney donors. Uh, uh, there is no empirical study of uh, you know what happens when you when you pay kidney kidney donors. So what we did in the study is we presented respondents with hypothetical uh, scenarios. Uh, Um, And we did find, like you said, that uh, uh, some people uh, start out by being against, paying kidney donors for low, uh, uh, for for small benefits or no benefits or small benefits for uh, for society in terms of additional transplants. But then when they hypothesized growth in the number of transplants made possible by incentives, again, in these hypothetical scenarios, when that number uh, was larger, a, a considerable share of individuals switch from being against to being in 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 favor, which suggests that again, if the societal gains from allowing a, a form of a sort of market uh, mechanism to to uh, to be in place, if the societal gains of of that are large enough, then a, a substantial share of of individuals. Uh, uh, become uh, favorable, are uh, willing to switch from being against to being uh, to being in favor.
0: Yeah, so in both cases, the Canadian case, as well as the, the, the case that you're discussing now, there appears to be sort of lack of information, uh, lack of education uh, in the broader public for them to actually make a more informed decision. Uh, And that might have a policy impact. The other area that you explored here is also, you say, although most respondents are in favor of donors being paid, there is strong opposition to patients' paying.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's the other major
0: finding uh,
1: from from the paper. So essentially, we find that uh, uh, Americans dislike the idea of uh, having sort of a uh, uh, a free market where people are uh, uh, able to engage in private transactions involving kidneys and money. Uh, and that is because uh, yeah. because they consider it to be unjust or or unfair that a person who has the means to procure a kidney for uh, for themselves, like a rich person might be able would be able to to obtain a kidney by paying. A, uh, a, a donor and, and therefore, you know, have their life uh, saved. Whereas a poor person or someone with no health insurance, with no means uh, to pay for the, for the kidney would not and would die. So there's a strong, uh, uh, this, this taste uh, or aversion to this type of scenario. But there is a lot more sort of uh, approval for an alternative system where a government agency, a public agency, pays the donor or compensates the donors for for their kidney and the same agency allocates the resulting right. kidneys among patients who need a kidney but where the allocation is not based on purchasing power uh, but it's based on uh, medical need and other objective uh, uh, criteria so based on an algorithm essentially that allocates kidneys fairly so the opposition is not an opposition to Uh, donors uh, to kidney donors being compensated or being paid, uh, uh, in in large measure, the concern is that uh, the rich will be able to obtain a kidney, uh, whereas the poor would not. But if you arrange an institutional system, for example, in, in the paper we hypothesize a public agency, yeah. uh, you sort of you know de- decouple this the procurement from the allocation. So the public agency pays the donors and then allocates kidneys fairly. Then there's a lot more support among Americans for this type of uh, for this type of uh, of system.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I was thinking about this, Maria. I want to get your perspective on it. Um, and so what, what people are saying is that, yeah, so you know, some sort of inter- intermediary that is unbiased, like the government acquires, and allocates, um, uh, and and it's okay for the government to pay for the kidneys. Um, uh, at, at the highest level, you know, one could argue that acquisition and allocation may need to be separated because allocation right. is more of a medical um, decision making process which government may not have a lot of expertise in. Uh, but I could also argue that both um, acquisition and the pricing of a transaction, as well as uh, as well as allocation could be completely done by algorithms, uh, some sort of artificial intelligence driven algorithms. Uh, which could actually, uh, you know, create a, a elasticity price elasticity based pricing mechanism. As long as people are not involved, it might still work. I, I'm well, just that, making that a is a, 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 a very
1: intriguing, intriguing uh, idea. Uh, like you said, we, we we don't investigate that in in our in our study. What I suspect is that uh, an algorithm that. Uh, Sort of, if I understand your uh, your uh, yeah, proposal, sort of or suggestion uh, correctly, that the algorithm would uh, uh, um, sort of uh, obtain information from prospective donors and, uh, and, desi- and 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 identify a price that varies depending on the characteristics of the donor and willingness to accept, essentially. Um, I suspect that some people might view this uh, as uh, uh, unfair. That there would be a concern that uh, you know poor people would be would obtain uh, 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 less uh, compensation that, than, uh, than, uh, than richer people, which might introduce uh, unfairness in the in the uh, perception or in the in the in, in the system.
0: yeah so what what i mean is that you know so there is there's a matching process you have to go through uh, for kidneys so so assuming patient x requires a kidney Ooh, the algorithm wow. can find the right match and, and it can find the right amount of supply for that match right and that should set the price so i'm not suggesting uh, so, so I'm I'm uh, agreeing with the the population that says there there has to be an intermediary that prices and acquires and allocates, uh, but rather than the government doing it, I'm suggesting it is more intelligent uh, central agency uh, doing it. Uh, and if that is so, if it is driven by an algorithm, you can actually bring in. Some Got it. Expense, that is uh, fascinating. There is a
1: very active, uh, uh, you know, branch of of economics, uh, market design that is uh, uh, has been working on uh, algorithms and uh, matching uh, uh, algorithms and allocation of uh, of scarce uh, resources. Uh, uh specifically kidneys uh, uh the uh, you know k- kidney exchange uh, uh program that was introduced by among others uh, but alvin roth uh, is an example of of that although there are no prices uh, in that uh you know non-monetary prices in that uh, in that algorithm i mean this is sort of uh, i agree with you it's sort of a new frontier and um uh it's not uh, the uh necessarily you know Obvious that algorithms are less biased, necessarily less biased than uh, uh, than government agencies. Although one might, uh, one could design them, in, uh, you know, in that way, in that way. But but then, uh, then the, the design of the algorithm would need to really be extremely uh, careful, in avoiding uh, biases.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah, we, we see a lot of problems uh, today, right? Uh, and algorithms' biases, are it's uh, it's That's models' right. um, biases, or the yeah, historical right. data, if the
1: historical data based exactly on which the algorithm more, you know right? learns and makes uh, uh, allocation decisions. If that data are uh, themselves, you know, the outcome of a biased, you know, decision-making uh, process, then the algorithm will learn the wrong, uh, the wrong. Uh, uh, you know, allocation uh, rules.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so if you um, if you look forward uh, four or five years, uh, you looked at Canada, Australia, and the United States. You looked at blood plasma and kidney, and possibly other things. Um, where do you think we will be in terms of a policy stance? Um, it, it appears very different from country to country. I don't know what EU generally uh, is doing in this area. I don't know what developing countries, um, you know, policies are in this area. What's your general view? Yeah, as it's, um, you know, it's always difficult
1: prevention. to make predictions, uh, uh, but uh, my sense is that, uh, like in the context of, uh, of blood uh, donation, that uh, more and more blood banks are uh, using, uh, uh, certain you know several types of incentives and they're framing them uh, in a way that uh, you know that uh, they are not perceived as uh, you know payment uh, but but in a way that you know reinforces their donors uh, mm. uh, motivation so you reward your donors instead of you pay your donors it makes a big difference you know the way in which uh, rewards or incentives are are presented so and um, um, in, in 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 the context of uh, um, uh, organ donation, my sense is that uh, societies, uh, uh, not just the US, but also uh, other societies, are moving towards sort of recognizing that uh, um, um, giving a kidney, giving an organ, uh, particularly kidneys that can be given by living, uh, you know, uh, individuals, uh, is costly. And, uh, and that it is uh, uh, that is a fact, and that again there's consensus that no one should be made financially worse off. So although there there is this uh, repugnance factor in uh, in uh, uh, the, to the idea of paying uh, kidney donors uh, or organ donors, uh, uh, there is uh, sort of consensus that uh, uh, compensating donors for their costs. Uh, uh, direct and indirect uh, is uh, ethically appropriate. Uh, so what I think is going to happen is, and we already see some indication that this is happening, that uh, the, the the range of reimbursable expenses will, you know, is expanding, and in again in recognition of the costs that donors uh, face, and so we'll see, I think, more willingness to uh, offer reimbursement for direct costs and uh, and, and indirect costs.
0: Yeah, so so in summary, Mario, would you say that uh, given all these case studies that we went through, 70 to 75% of the population appears to be generally okay uh, with with the compensation uh, for a donation. Uh, But in many countries, policies appear to be lagging. That uh, that societal. Um, I think that I, uh, that, that is an accurate uh, characterization
1: in uh, in 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 several countries, uh, the U.S. based on uh, uh, my research, and in Canada uh, uh, for sure. Uh, and so uh, and so, yes, I I think that. Uh, but again, it, it's uh, this. Th- th- there's always, you know, uh, some very vocal. Uh, uh, proponents uh, or opponents of uh, of policies uh, that uh, uh, um, participate in the public debate, whereas the majority of the population either is not aware or doesn't really have an interest in actively participating in the policy debate. So the results of, uh, you know, so policies are often the result of conversations or debates uh, between uh, uh, very vocal minorities, uh, and so it's not obvious that you know the uh, uh, will of the majority mm-hmm. will uh, will prevail, at least not in the in the short term. Uh, but again, my and my sense is that uh, um, um, there is more and more consensus, even among those who participate actively in the in the policy conversation. That uh, compensation to uh, reimburse and uh, make the donor whole—that's uh, uh, that, consensus for, uh, for for that. So that's where I see, uh, you know, the action uh, uh, in in the next uh, in the next uh, uh, several years.
0: Yeah, that, that's a very important point. I just want to touch on that very quickly. So. Uh, If we are in a situation that, uh, as you say, the extreme position takers on a spectrum actually have a higher influence on ultimate policy, including lobbying and everything else, it doesn't really help uh, to get public opinion into policies. And, you know, you can look at almost any policy today. um, there, There appears to be many, many policies that are totally opposite to. Uh, almost three quarters uh, of what the uh, of the public desires that policy to be but there is no mechanism to get yes i i think that is a great
1: observation process. now we are sort of going you know outside of my area of expertise, but I I would be very interested <laughs> yeah. in listening to a podcast where you discuss this uh, political economy of uh, you know you know how do we get uh, uh, legislation passed how do we get reform what's the role of uh, vocal minorities in shaping uh, in shaping policy choices. Uh, and how can we get uh, you know, the, the voice of the of, of people you know, to play a, a greater role uh, in, in, in shaping policy? I would love to listen to a podcast on, on, on that. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll work on that, Mario. Yeah, thanks so much for spending time with me on a, on a weekend. And I uh, really appreciate it. This was great. Uh, uh, my pleasure, Jill. Thank you, you very much. What you do in this area. Thank you.